Are you saying then, Jesus, that you are the son of Eve, come to crush Satan's head? I definitely am. Are you saying then, Jesus, that you're the son of Abraham, the one who has come to bless all nations on earth? I definitely am. <laughs> Are you saying then, Jesus, that you're the greater Moses? That you came to, to lead a people enslaved to sin, to life? I definitely am. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Stand out of respect for the words and the works of Jesus. We're moving along here in Mark chapter 14, and today we hear the account of Jesus on trial. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with human hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them all and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. There are silences that shout. This all happened so fast. Uh, everybody who mattered was there. There was a high priest, 
in all his high priestly getup. There were the chief priests with their pomp, their circumstance, and their self-importance. There was the teachers of the law with their status and, and their importance as, as Bible teachers in the academy. Everybody who mattered was there. It didn't matter that it was the middle of the night. It didn't matter that everybody was wiping sleep out of their eyes. It didn't matter that they could have held this on a different day. Everybody was there. And they all knew why they were there. They were there to prove the death verdict. See, they already had the sentence. They knew where they were going. They were going to condemn them as worthy of death. This was a trial in search of evidence. <laughs> witness after witness after witness came forth. The testimonies didn't agree. They didn't work. One guy comes forward. He says, you know... Jesus breaks the law. That's why he hangs out with sinners so much. Another guy comes forth and he says, you know, Jesus is a Sabbath breaker. He's one of those people who heals on the Sabbath. Another guy comes forth and he, and he, and he brings out that, that now refuted and ludicrous charge. This is a man who drives out demons because he's got a demon. He's in league with Beelzebub. He's in league with Satan himself. Everybody's kind of sitting around in a circle. And these officials, these judges, they must have thought the whole thing was kind of boring. They knew it wouldn't work. They knew these testimonies didn't agree. Finally, a couple people come and they start making it at least a little bit interesting. Somebody says, we, we heard him say that he's going to tear down the temple made with human hands. And that's what made it interesting. Everything surrounding the temple was interesting. And if they could insinuate that, that Jesus was going to, in fact, sort of tear down their whole religion by attaching Jesus to the destruction of the temple, then now we've got something to talk about. The high priest in that moment, no stranger to the politics of the church, knew that this was the big moment. You can picture it the way it must have been. He strides to the middle of this courtroom. He stands up. He asks the question, what? <laughs> he asks this question here. Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? And Jesus says nothing. There was no answer. It must have been a silence that shouted. 
You can imagine in that moment how the high priest must have stood there and melted like a snowman in South Carolina. How everybody's second hands on their watch could be heard. Not to mention the self-consciousness of their hearts rising. Everybody's shuffling in their chairs. Silence. There's a, a pastor, an important pastor, who says that the most important moment in a person's life is when you stand for your life on trial. And that the most important moment in that trial is when you must give testimony about yourself. What was Jesus doing? Christians have different proposals about that. Some Christians, they analyze this scene and they go into what I like to think of as let's defend Jesus mode. <laughs> and with some legitimacy too, they look at this scene with legal eyes, they'll talk to American lawyers and they'll, they'll apply American legal concepts not, quite legitimately in some cases to this scene. And they go into let's defend Jesus mode. And they say everybody, everybody would have known that this was this wasn't a real trial. This was a mock trial. That's why they were holding it at night. They knew this wasn't going to be any good. They look at it a little bit deeper. They, they say things like this. They say what they did is they had a presumption of guilt. They say, look at this. There's a, this isn't innocent until proven guilty. This is the exact opposite. This was a trial in search of a charge. <laughs> they go even a little bit further. They, they, say, they say this. They say, look at the Mishnah. There is Jewish legal doctrine from the second and third century that proves that this was an illegal trial. I'm not going to go into that because I'm not sure it actually applies. The Mishnah was written in the second and third century. We probably should be a little bit reticent to read it back two and a half centuries. The point is this. Some people go into let's defend Jesus mode. Other people look at this scene and they say, they go into what I like to think of as let's see Jesus as Lord mode. They say this is what's going on here. Jesus is the Lord of this scene. You know, they'll quote people like Leonardo da Vinci who said this, nothing strengthens authority so much as silence. So they say let's, let's view Jesus as Lord here. You know what he's doing here is he's refusing to give legitimacy to this trial. He's refusing to acknowledge the things that are coming against him because they're so ridiculous. 
So what Jesus is doing here is he's judging all the judges. He's being Lord of this scene. They go into, they go into this mode of let's make Jesus Lord mode. But I have a different suggestion. Do you think that Jesus, if he really wanted to be Lord of the scene, could have eviscerated the high priest? Don't you think he could have done that? Don't you think that he could have made that man curl up in the fetal position on the floor in front of all of his peers because he knew everything about that man's life? He doesn't do it. Don't you think that he could have turned into this perfect lawyer who cross-examines all of the witnesses and makes their, their, their case just fall apart like it's a John Grisham novel or something like that? Couldn't he have done that? I mean, he did that constantly in his life. Look, look at the Gospels. When people told lies, what did he do? He spoke the truth. When people tried to catch him in a corner, he goes all the way around him. If Jesus wanted to blow up this scene, he could have blown up this scene. What is going on here? I'll, I'll put it like this. Jesus here in this scene is either liar or he is lamb. But he cannot be both. One thing that we learn from the holy prophets is that when you are put on trial falsely, you need to speak the truth. Otherwise, what you're doing is you are accepting false charges. You are allowing untruths to stand. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is he allowing lies to stand? And by allowing lies to stand, is he complicit in the lies and therefore himself a liar? Or is he the lamb? Is he taking the charges? Is he becoming a convict? Is he allowing the charges to stand? That's what I'm suggesting. By the way, that's not my interpretation of this event. It's the great prophet Isaiah's interpretation of this event. Isaiah says this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Why was he silent? Because our sin was on him. Why didn't he answer? Because he was accepting the charges that would have been applied to us. The great poet put it like this. These are the crimes that tell the tale of human guilt. Our sins, our death, our hell, on these his case is built. To this world's powers, the Lord stays dumb. This guilt is ours. No answers come. I called up a friend after I'd worked up these notes 
for this sermon, I said, do you think I'm going to have to spend time in this sermon proving to people why this is important? Let me put it to you like this. The greatest moment of a person's life is when they are put on trial for their own life. And the greatest moment in that trial is when you have to give your own testimony about yourself. You didn't make yourself. You are created. And you will stand trial. You will. You will have to give your answer. Why you did what you did or didn't do. Why you said what you said or didn't say it. Why you thought what you thought or didn't think it. You're going to go on trial. What are you going to say? Some people get upset about that. They say, you know, the fact that God is going to judge us one day proves that he doesn't care about us. I heard a, I heard a preacher once respond to that. The, the preacher said this, no, 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 no. The preacher said you're getting it wrong. <laughs> God judging you doesn't prove that God doesn't care about you. God judging you proves, proves that he does care. He cares about you so much that he evaluates every single part of your life. When you go on trial, what witnesses will God call? How long will it take him to make you go silent. Will he start with the sins of your youth? You know those youthful, passionate ones? Or will he start with the sins of your older age? You know the cold ones. You're cynical, greedy, only care about yourself and your family. Will, will he go after a big sin in your life? You know that one. Or will he go after the constant small ones, the, the self-obsessions, the, the lack of trust in God? Will he, will he go after you for not caring about people? Or will he go after you for, for not caring about him? Like you never thought about the fact that that the highest law, the most important one, is that you love the Lord your God, not with 25% of your soul or 90% of your soul, but with 100% of your soul, that you love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. What's he going to come after you for? Do I need to call more witnesses? Or have I convinced you yet? If I'm looking at this trial, I already know why Jesus didn't say a word. Because I know the things in my life that would make me stay silent.
Do you know yours? The high priest, he broke in to the silence. He asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. Which at this point, I need to stop and and do just a public service announcement to explain a little bit what's going on here. I'm sorry I have to do that because Jesus doesn't take a break, but we need to take a break for a second. You realize what the high priest did there. He took two major concepts, two major claims that Jesus had made with his life and with his teaching, and he slams them together into one question. See, there are two titles in this question, not one title. There are two titles. First, the high priest asks him, are you the Christ? See, are you the king? Are you the one that has been promised since the beginning of time? Are you that guy? And then there's the second one. Are you the son of the blessed one? Are you the true son of God, so high, so mighty, that I, the high priest, can't even say his name? I'm just going to call him the blessed one. Are you that man? And Jesus said, I am. Actually, he said a little bit more than I am. I I think sometimes when we read that, it sounds a little bit like Jesus just said, yup. (laughs) It's not that. This is emphatic. This is strong. What Jesus actually said here is he said, I definitely am. And he backed it up with an exclamation point. He said this, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, that's what broke the silence. The high priest said to asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, yes, I definitely am. So, Jesus, Jesus, are you then saying that you are the son of Eve who came to crush Satan's head? Yes, I definitely am. So, Jesus, Jesus, let me get this straight. Are you saying then that you're the son of Abraham? Come to bless all the nations on earth. I definitely am. Are you then, Jesus, Jesus, are you saying then that you are the greater Moses? Come to lead people out of the slavery of sin. Yes, yes, I definitely am. Are you saying then, Jesus, that that you're the son of David, the Lord's king, who has come to rule eternal, eternally in righteousness and purity forever. Yes, I definitely am. Are, are, are you saying then, Jesus, that you are the Son of God? 
with a life so valuable that when you die, you can die for all. I definitely am. Are you saying then, Jesus, that when you went on trial, you were going on trial for me? I definitely am. Are you saying then, Jesus, that you stayed silent for all of the accusations that would make me go silent? I definitely am. Are you saying then, Jesus, that, that when you took the charge of death, you took that charge of death so that I can go free. Yes, I definitely am. Are you saying then, Jesus, see, that when you come on the clouds of glory, that you are going to judge me not guilty and that I will live eternally in heaven with you? Yes, 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 that's what I'm saying. I am the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One. What do you think? Do you agree? What do you say? You've heard the gospel now. Do you agree? I want to make something clear this morning. This, this right here, this right here is Jesus' strongest claim in all of the gospel of Mark. You right here are hearing Jesus' claim that he is Lord and Messiah. What do you say about him? A wise pastor once said that the greatest moment in your life is when you go on trial for your life. And the greatest moment in that trial is when you have to give your personal testimony. What are you going to say? Are you going to be like Matthew? Matthew who said, I know who Jesus is. Jesus is the guy who said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened because I'm going to take your guilt. Are you going to be like Paul? Paul who said, you know what? I'm the chief of sinners. I exist in God's world. So everybody knows that everybody can come to Jesus and that Jesus is going to take their guilt. I'm the worst one. Nobody's worse than me. Are you going to be like Peter, slinking, sulking in the background, Peter of this, of this story? Peter who comes and says, I want to tell you who Jesus is. He's the guy who took our sins in his body on the tree. That's who this man is. Are you going to be like me? At the seminary where I went, there's a statue on the statue. There's these words imprinted. It says this. Jesus, I am your sin. You are my righteousness. I've told you today that there are different approaches to this scene. Some Christians look at it and they go into let's defend Jesus mode. There's some legitimacy to that. 
Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. He's not dying for his own sins. It's good for us to realize that. But at the same time, if that's all we do, if that's all we do is go into let's defend Jesus mode, what it's going to do is end, us, end up ticking us off that he was on trial and, and he died at all. So that doesn't work. Other people go in this psychological mode with Jesus. Jesus is just trying to prove this whole thing false. And if you only do that mode, then what you end up doing is you miss the whole meaning of what's going on here. What's going on here? Jesus is taking our conviction so that we can go free. That changes your life. And it changes your life in, in three specific ways, three specific relationships. One, it eternally changes your relationship with God. What does the scripture say? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, you will never be condemned. In fact, the whole heart and core of the Christian faith is this. You believe what God is going to say about you on judgment day before it ever happens. That's what faith is. And you can believe that because we can apply here an American legal concept. There's no double jeopardy with God. Jesus was already convicted for the crimes that you committed. Therefore, you can't be convicted for them. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It eternally changes your relationship with God, and that eternally changes the relationship you can have with yourself. You know what bugs me sometimes? I hear people say sometimes, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Really? You think your verdict of yourself is more important than God's verdict of you? Are we going to be those kind of people? No, we're not going to be those kind of people. We are done with the self-condemnation. We are done with the self-loathing. We are those who have been bought by the blood of the king. Do you realize who Jesus is? He is the son of God. Do you, believe, do you understand who he is? He is the Messiah. Be done with self-loathing. Be done with self-condemnation. You have been bought by the blood of the lamb. And that brings me to my third point. You have a new relationship with the circumstances in your life. I've heard that anxiety is sky high in people these days. I don't mean to diminish any of the feelings, the very real feelings that people have, but can I tell you this and put this into a Christian perspective? Do you realize there's only one thing worth being nervous about? Really, there's just one thing worth being nervous about, God. That's it. If you're on good terms with God, everything's going to be more than okay. He promises. You don't have to be anxious. Why not? Because on the one hand, whatever's going wrong in your life, whatever suffering there is, 
It can't be because God is punishing you. It can't be. Jesus suffered all of the cosmic punishment in our place. He can't be punishing you. On the other hand, he's never going to waste your sadness. Never. He'll use it to change you. He'll use it to prove you. He'll never waste it. Never. He loves you too much to do that to you. So what you can do in your life is you can always anticipate glory. The scene ends this way. Jesus is condemned as worthy of death. They spit on him. The guards come and they beat him. The scene ends that way with Jesus taking all that we deserve so that we remember that we, because of him, are going to receive the exact opposite. At the end of your life, what's going to happen? You're not going to be led away under guard. You're going to be welcomed by angels. You're not going to be rejected with spitting. You're going to be received. You're going to see in the book of life your name penned in blood because of what Jesus did right here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we contemplate your trial, we see how you stayed silent as a lamb on our behalf. It makes us think on the one hand of, of the ways in which we would have stayed silent because of our sins when on trial. But on the other hand, it makes us rejoice that through your blood, through the accusation that you received, through the verdict that you accepted on our behalf, that we will be set free. Give us faith to see in this story the gospel, your gospel, that has bought us and won us and redeemed us. Through you, Jesus, we pray. Amen.